this morning two portions out of Romans. Wonderful book, Romans. And uh, we're going to read from Romans chapter 1, verse 8. And then we're going to read a short portion out of Romans 15. So if you're following me, I'm reading out of uh, the the, um, ESV version. It says in verse 8 of chapter 1, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I have been prevented, in order that I might reap some harvest among you, as well as amongst the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Then please turn with me to Romans 15, 18. And I'm going to read a couple of verses out of Romans 15. Verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, unless I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your words, and I want to thank you for already you reminded us this morning in the worship that your word is power. Your word has power to transform. Your word has power to heal. Your word is power to create out of nothing. And so I thank you for your word this morning. And I ask as I preach, Lord, that your word would come and uh, fall on fertile hearts and minds, that you would, you would help us to respond, and that the Holy Spirit would come and use this to help transform our lives. We might be those that are very effective, most effective for your kingdom. And so I simply ask for your help this morning. I ask for your enabling this morning. And I thank you, Lord, that your word is powerful to accomplish all that it has. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, as I was uh, talking and, and um, having some time with RT, we talked about a lot of things. And one of the things I want to pose to you as a question this morning is simply this. If you had one thing, just one thing, that you could say to God's church, what would it be? 
if you knew that tomorrow you were going to die and you had one message that you could leave your family, leave your friends, what would it be? If this was the last time that I was able to preach to this church today, if I got struck by a bus tomorrow and died, what would be the message that I would like to leave to you uh, to hopefully help you to live your life and to be effective for the kingdom of God? Well, this morning, I have the message that I want to preach is that message. If I had one thing left to say to you, this would be it. And I've read it this morning, and Paul says in those amazing verses towards the end of chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it has power for all that will believe. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And that's what I would like to preach to you about this morning. And I, I want to pose this question, why are so few people preaching the gospel? I want to say that, that there are many gospels preached in churches, but very few preach the gospel of Jesus. Jesus. Some preach a gospel of prosperity. Some preach a gospel of healing. Some preach a gospel of, uh, uh, of uh, self-help, that your life will be better if you follow Jesus. I want to ask you this morning, as we read this portion together and look at it together, what was Paul's gospel? What was his motivation? What did he preach, and why did he preach it? And he says these amazing words, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. And so we've, these, these uh, verses out of Romans, um, Martin Luther called the book of Romans the purest gospel. He, it's, mo, it's Paul's most complete statement of what, of what the gospel is. And that's probably because Paul actually never, up to this point, he hadn't actually visited Rome. And so he was writing to these Romans to let them know of what he believed and try and un, uh, write quite clearly for them what he believed before he got there, so they would, they would have a good understanding of what he believed before he got there. There was no apostolic leadership in the church in Rome. Uh, as you know, the day of Pentecost came. Uh, in the book of Acts, 3,000 were saved. Some of those 3,000 that were saved were Romans. And so they went back to Rome, and that's probably how the church started in Rome. So without Paul having been to Rome, he clearly sets out for the Roman Christians all that he believes so that they can understand clearly what he believed before he got there. And so that's why I say to you, it's the, it contains his clearest thoughts concerning the gospel. And so, what does Paul say in these two verses, that, these two sections that we read this morning? The first thing that I want to highlight is this. He said that he was hindered in coming to them. He had this desire. He wanted to be with the church in Rome. He had wanted to be there for a long time. But he says in, in, in the first portion, he says, I was hindered. I couldn't get to you. And why was that? Well, you might remember I've said this before. When he writes to the Thessalonican church, the church in Thessalonica, he says, I wanted to get to you, but I couldn't get to you because Satan hindered me from getting to you. There was obviously some opposition, and he couldn't get to the church in Thessalonica. But that's not what he says here. And he kind of, he answers himself in chapter 15. Uh, if you remember the second portion that we read. And he said, basically what he's saying is, I've been so busy preaching the gospel to people that haven't heard the gospel, that's why I couldn't get to you up to this point, because I've been busy preaching in all areas, all over Asia Minor, where people haven't heard the gospel. And so he answers himself. That's what stopped me getting to you, is that I've been busy preaching this gospel to those that have not yet heard it. And then he comes to these amazing words. I am not ashamed of the gospel 
of Christ. And why are those words so important? Well, if I could pose a couple of other questions to you as we kind of get into it this morning. Why be a Christian? Why be a Christian? If you are a Christian this morning, why are you a Christian? If you've been praying for your friends and your family, if you've been praying for people that are not saved, why do you think they should be Christians? What's the point? Why are we doing this thing <laughs> that we are doing? Why are we Christians? Why do we meet together regularly? Uh, why do we encourage each other in, in the Christian faith? What is it all about? Why? Well, Paul gives us the reason why here in this portion. He has this amazing confidence in the foolishness of the gospel. He has this amazing confidence that what is preached, the gospel, can transform people's lives. He has an amazing confidence that it is a dangerous gospel, that it takes people's destinies and it transforms our destinies as we believe on the gospel, as we believe on Jesus. Something amazing and powerful happens in our lives. He believes, Paul, that if you cut the gospel loose in people's lives, it will change them. It's a radical thing that he believes. And that's why he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. And I want to put it to you this morning, there are many Christians that are ashamed of the gospel. There are those that are ashamed of the gospel. There are those that are embarrassed about the gospel. And Paul uses this word uh, over and over again uh, of stigmata. If, if you read uh, the New Testament, he uses the word stigmata. And basically what stigmata, we get our English word stigma. The stigma of the gospel, the foolishness of the gospel, is basically reduced to a very simple thing. It's reduced to an English word called embarrassment. <laughs> embarrassment. Are you embarrassed of the gospel? Am I embarrassed of the gospel? Well, what do I mean by that? Well, I think there are those that are embarrassed about the gospel. There are people that are embarrassed with other Christians. <laughs> and I must say, sometimes I'm embarrassed with other Christians as well, the way that we, you know, the, the church carries on. I can identify with that. I can sympathize with that, uh, that uh, there are those that are embarrassed with the behavior of Christians. But that was not Paul. Paul was not embarrassed about the gospel. Why am I saying these passages are so important? Well, Paul really believed what he was saying. That's the first thing. He really believed in the power of the gospel to transform people's lives. I'm asking you this morning, do you really believe in the power of the gospel to transform people's lives? The second thing, it really shows us, these portions show us a lot about Paul, about this man. I believe that the greatest character of the Old Testament was Moses. I believe outside of the person of Jesus, the greatest character in the New Testament is Paul. He's the most important person in the New Testament, outside of the person of Christ. What word would you use to describe Paul? Well, I like reading, and I like studying, so I, I would like to think of Paul as a theologian, because he wrote half, you know, a huge portion of the Scripture. But I, I don't know if that really is the right word to describe Paul from this passage. Perhaps you might, um, he certainly was a theologian, certainly had a great brain, certainly understood, had revelation that no one else has had. 
Would you describe him as a missionary? He certainly was a missionary. He went all over the place, planting churches, healing the sick, seeing people transformed by the power of Christ. He certainly was a missionary. Would you say he was a pastor? (laughs) He absolutely was a pastor. But I think this portion really gives us the heart of who Paul was. At his, in his deepest part of himself, he was an evangelist. I want to go and preach where no one else has heard the name of Jesus. This is what he says. He says, I have been stopped coming to you because I've been busy preaching the, the good, good news of Christ to those who have not yet heard the name of Jesus. That is what motivates me. That is, that is what gives me a reason to get up in the morning. That's what Paul is saying. This is who I am. I am a, an evangelist. He lived for spreading the good news of Jesus. That was his destiny. Why was it his destiny? Because if you know his story, he was a a hater of Christians. He was a person who persecuted and killed Christians. And he meets Christ face to face on the road to to, uh, Damascus. And he is radically transformed. And the killer of Christians, Paul, becomes transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he becomes a man that loves Christians with all of his heart, gives himself to planting churches and serving Christ until he himself is killed for the very message that he killed others for. He believed what he preached. He was not embarrassed. He knew that it was the power of salvation for all who believed. There was a, he had such a confidence in the gospel. You know, I, I think um, you know, these days, there's so few people that have that motivation like Paul did. Most people I know who go through Bible college or go to training to be a minister of the gospel, they don't really want to go to a far-flung place where no one's heard the gospel. (laughs) What they really want is they want to go to a nice, comfortable church where they can have a nice living and they uh, they can be comfortable. I admire people that want to go to the far-flung corners of the earth to preach where no one else has preached. And what Paul says, I don't want to lay a foundation where anyone else has heard the good news of Jesus. I want to go where no one has heard the good news of Jesus. I was just, uh, I came across this example of Paul in Acts 17. Acts 17, Paul lands up in Athens. How many of you have been to Greece on holiday? Anyone here? Yes, I love Greece. It's a beautiful, amazing place, Greece. So he, he lands up in Athens. And if you, were, if you were fortunate enough to be in Greece and you landed up in Athens and you had a couple of days on your hands, uh, what would you do? What would you do? Not a trick question. What would you do? <laughs> You'd go sightseeing. Of course you would. I would. I would go sightseeing. I'd go and, uh, and I'd uh, go to the Parthenon or the, Rock, the Aeropathus and I'd go and see all those wonderful things. And you know what Paul does? We're told that Paul arrives in Athens and uh, he doesn't choose to go to Mars Hill. That's where all the kind of learned people went and they all discussed new ideas. He doesn't choose to go to the Parthenon. It says in Acts 17, it says, Paul simply went to the marketplace and he shared Jesus with whoever was there. That's what it says. It says, Paul went to the marketplace and he simply started talking about Jesus to anyone who was in the marketplace. Just that he could share 
Christ. He didn't go to, you know, Mars Hill was like the Oxford, the Cambridge equivalent of the day. He didn't go to where all the, the very the intelligentsia were. He just went to where ordinary people were, and he shared Jesus in the marketplace with anyone who would listen. That encourages me. You and I, we can go to our own marketplace. Wherever you are, in whatever work you are doing, whether you're a nurse or a teacher or a student or you're an air conditioning engineer or whatever you're doing, you can talk about Jesus with anyone who is there who wants to listen. That's the heart of Paul. That's the heart of the gospel. And I believe that's what God is reminding this church about. I was just saying uh, to Helen this week, it's amazing, you know, when, when you have a, a start of a new year, there are many, many churches that feel they need to have a, a month of vision to let the church know what they're going to be doing that year. And I felt God say to me this year, just carry on doing what you're doing. This thing that we are doing is for our whole lives. It doesn't change year on and year out. There might be certain little things that change, but basically what we, we give ourselves to is we give ourselves to the gospel. We give ourselves to loving each other. We give ourselves to worship. We give ourselves to fellowship. We give ourselves to prayer. We keep on doing that. That's what we do. That is what Christians do. That's our lives. And I believe God would remind us of that this morning through these these scriptures of Paul. He was not ashamed of the gospel. It's what he gave himself to for his whole life. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Am I ashamed of the gospel? The third reason that I believe these uh, portions are important is because they show something about how Paul understood God. These verses that we read. And the character of God. How Paul saw the character of God. There was an urgency in his life. There was an urgency that motivated Paul to preach and to live like he did. And I'm trying to encourage you that there's an urgency in your life and there's an urgency in my life. And it comes down to this little statement that we read that we are justified by faith alone. How many times have you heard in this church we are saved by grace through faith? In verse 17, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live By faith. This is the gospel that Paul preached. Then in verse 18, he uses this word, the Greek word gar, G-A-R, which means for. And it refers to what he's been speaking about before. And he says, he now gives the reason for the urgency in his life. He gives the reason for why he wants to preach the gospel with all of his heart. And he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by the unrighteousness suppress the truth. That is why he says, I preach this gospel with all of my heart, for the wrath of God is being revealed. Uh, we don't like that message, Ant. We want to hear about God, our Father who loves us. He just wants to take us in His arms. We want to hear about Papa God who takes us on his knee and loves us and makes all our life better. I believe God does want to take us and hold us. But you know, I I believe that that is not the primary motivation of why Paul preached. I put it to you this morning. I'll show you from the scripture. He didn't care about a comfortable life. 
He didn't give two hoots about a comfortable life. What motivated Paul was that he knew without God, we are going to a future without him. The gospel, the love of Christ, and the wrath of God go together. How many times have you heard that preached recently? I've heard a gospel preached that says, Jesus just wants to love on you. Jesus just wants to be your big cuddly teddy bear. He just wants to fix up your life. Oh, and isn't, isn't love the motivation? Certainly love is the motivation. John 3.16, Martin Luther said, the gospel in a nutshell. You want to understand the gospel in a nutshell? In one sentence, here it is. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. There's love. God loved the world so passionately that he sent his only begotten son that those who believe in him shall not perish. You know what it means to perish? It means to lose your life. It means to lose your soul. It means to go to a a future without God. God so loved the world that he sent his son that all who believe on him by faith will not die, will not perish. The love of God and the wrath of God go together. God is concerned that everyone does not go to a godless future. And so I put it to you this morning, I'm convinced that the gospel that Paul preached, the gospel that Jesus lived, that he came to bring, is primarily concerned more about your death than it is about your life. It is concerned about how you die. Why do I say that? Well, John Wesley said this. He said, of the Methodists, he said, our people die well. (laughs) Our people die well. I've been reading with Helen, we've been reading Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's not a a book for the faint-hearted. Did you know this? That every single one of the apostles were killed. Every single one of the apostles was killed. Except John. John, who wrote the book of John. What happened to John was he was thrown into a boiling cauldron of oil. And somehow he survived. And because he survived, they took him to the island of Patmos and they left him there in exile until he died. Timothy, who we read of, led the church in Ephesus. And towards the end of his life, when he was an old man, there was a pagan procession that was coming along, these pagans were celebrating and worship, he came out into the, into the street and he said, what you are doing is wrong. They took out some clubs and they beat him to death. James, this book that we've been reading and studying, James too was beaten with clubs until the, the fox says his brains came out of his head. He was beaten so badly. Do you think these men, these apostles, the ones that knew Jesus face to face, do you think they, do you think they cared about their lives? Do you think they cared about having a nice, comfortable life and having all their needs met? No, they didn't. They lived for something infinitely higher and more glorious than that. Jesus is more concerned about your death than he is about your life. Does Jesus heal us? Absolutely. Does Jesus fix us up? Absolutely he does. But that's not the primary reason that he saves you. He saves you that you can go to a future with him, not without him. And that's why Paul says, 
I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation. I've even heard this. Uh, if, if there was no hell and there was no heaven, it wouldn't matter to me because, you know, Jesus does so much for my life that I would believe in him anyway. Have you heard that said? I've heard that said. You know what? Paul would laugh at that. Paul would say, you've got to be joking. If there's no heaven and there's no earth, you would still believe in Jesus? Paul would say, you've got to be joking. Why? Because I, I put to you this, 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says this, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, if we have hope just for this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. He says it plainly. It says it's not just about this life. If that's the only reason you're a Christian is because it gives you a, a, you think it gives you a good life now, it's your opportunity to be pitied above all people. It's not about that. Let me read you some other things that I've read before. What do you think believing in Jesus did for Paul? Do you think it gave him a good life? 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9, Paul writing, again. I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle for the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, we are in disrepute. To the present hour we suffer hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed, we are buffeted and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we treat, entreat. We have become and are still the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. What did, what did believing in Jesus do for Paul? It brought him to a point where he said, I'm the scum of the world. I'm the refuse of all things. Ask Paul what Christianity did for him. He'd say, not a lot. I've become the scum of the earth. I've become the refuse of all things. What about 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three? 23? He says this, I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labor, far more imprisonment, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night, a night and a day, I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, from robbers, in danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil, in hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposed, and apart from any, all these things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. What did believing in Jesus do for Paul? Did it give him a comfortable life? It was of no value. A comfortable life was of no value to Paul. What kept him going then? Why did he live like he did? Why did he preach? Only this thing. The very fact that one day this life is going to end and that all of us will face God. What kept Paul going was his desire for heaven. 
his desire for heaven. He knew he was not going to hell. He knew that he had found Christ and that he had an eternal future and security in Christ. That is what kept him going. Eternal life. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, the church, he's talking about the church in England, they said the church is so middle class that it's why it has so little desire for heaven. The church is so middle class, it has so little desire for heaven. In other words, we're just concerned that we've got enough food, a nice house, a great car, and that's all that counts. And we have no desire for the eternal. We were just talking in the car on the way here with, with Jesse. He's got to write this um, assignment about the concentration camps and, and, and suffering at school. And uh, was there God in the suffering that people went through in the concentration camps? And there was a guy called Viktor Frankl. You might have heard of Victor, Victor Frankl. He was a Jewish sociologist, psych, psychologist. And he studied people that had been through the whole concentration camp um, uh, thing and, and they had survived. And he, he kind of asked this question, why did some survive? How, how come some people could go through all of that unimaginable pain and suffering and come out and survive? And he found there were three groups of people. One, there was a group of people that while they were going through the actual uh, terrible Experience. They gave up living because they could not cope with the, with the, the absolute suffering they were going through, the unimaginable suffering. And then he saw there was a second group of people that managed to get themselves through that, but they were living for when they were free. And when some of the guys were liberated from the constitution, many people, after they were liberated, they, they ended their own lives. They committed suicide. Why? Because they had lost their family. They had lost their home. They had lost everything that they had loved. And their lives had changed so radically, they couldn't cope, even after they were liberated. And they chose to end their own lives. And there was a third group of people who managed to survive. And he asked them, and he was not a Christian, he was a Jewish man. All of them that he interviewed, they had this thing in common. They believed in an eternal thing that was outside of time. They believed in eternity. They believed that what they were going through in the light of eternity would pale into nothing. That's what kept them going. They had eternity somehow. They had eternity in their hearts. That's what kept Paul going. He had eternity in his heart. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. You know what Paul could have said? And that's why I read chapter 15. He could have said this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for healing. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for signs and wonders. And why did I say that he could have said that? Well, if you read with me in chapter 15, Paul knew signs and wonders as part of his life. Paul knew healing as part of his ministry. In fact, he says it here. By the power of the Spirit of God, so that from, um, sorry, uh, what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Lycrium, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. He didn't say that. 
Did Paul believe in signs and wonders? Absolutely he did. He, it was part of his ministry. Did he believe in healing? Absolutely. It was part of what he did. Wherever he went, he preached and people were healed. Why didn't he say that? Because Paul was convinced that what Christianity does firstly for us is it saves us. We are saved by the blood of Christ. There are secondary benefits to our salvation. One of them is healing. It's a secondary benefit. It's not the main thing. The main thing is that you and I are saved. You and I get to an eternal future with Christ. That is the main thing. That is what the gospel primary is about. I've even heard this preached these days. You can't talk anymore just about preaching the gospel. You must talk about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Have you heard that before? The gospel of the kingdom. Like preaching the gospel is not enough. Like you need a whole lot of other stuff. You need some frills. You need signs and wonders so that the gospel is more palatable for people and that actually that will make it more attractive and then people will, more, more be, will believe in that. Paul never preached that. He preached the gospel is the power of God to salvation and he saw people healed. And this is my, this is my conviction about healing. When someone is healed, when we pray and lay hands on people and they are healed, eternity is breaking into our presence. That is what is happening. It is a flash of glory. It is God, what is still the fullness of the kingdom that is still to come. It comes into our lives for a moment and we see what eternity is like when someone is healed. The flash of glory. I celebrate every time I've seen many people healed and I've laid my hands upon people and I've seen them healed. I believe in healing. Paul said he was not ashamed. How many of us are secretly ashamed of the gospel? Too scared to tell others. There is a stigma. And like I've said, it comes down to this word embarrassment. Some people are embarrassed in being called born-again Christians. Some people are embarrassed about being called happy-clappy Christians. Some people are embarrassed about what the Bible says about speaking in tongues. Some are embarrassed about speaking about the wrath of God, because they think somehow it says that God is not a loving God. All these things, all those things are an attempt to take away the stigma of the gospel. The embarrassment. Jesus said this, if we were embarrassed of him, he would be embarrassed of us. You know, I believe that's why the church is in such a state of lacking in power. Much of the church is ashamed to say what it really believes. What really matters is not our riches here on earth, but it's the riches that we store up for ourselves in heaven. Let us not be those that are more concerned about our reputation now than we are about plundering hell so that heaven and be populated with those that do not yet know him. This urgency that Paul has is motivated because he understands something of the wrath of God. And to communicate that is an extraordinary thing because we, we do want to communicate the love of God at the same time as we preach. Do you know what the first message that was preached in the New Testament is? Who do you think preached the first sermon in the New Testament? John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer, in Matthew chapter 3. What was his message? Repent and be baptized, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Some of the old translations say it like this. 
flee the coming wrath of God and be baptized. You see, John the baptizer understood also that there was the wrath of God that was being revealed against mankind. How long have I been going? Because I'm really finished. You know, in America in the 1830s, there was a great awakening under Jonathan Edwards. What do you think is the thing that he preached? He preached, we are justified by faith alone. He preached, we are saved by grace. And the most famous message that Jonathan Edwards preached was a message called, we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. As people heard that message, they were radically transformed. You see, we don't like to hear about the wrath of God or the anger of God. We just like to hear about our heavenly teddy bear father who loves us. And that might be true. I'm not saying that God does not show love to us. You know what that does, though? If the only way that you see God is your father who kind of wraps you in his arms, it doesn't help you to see that God is also mighty, that God is almighty, that God is to be reverenced and feared above all things. Why do I say that? Well, how many of you like Amazing Grace. Yeah, it's a beautiful hymn, isn't it? Amazing Grace. I love that hymn. How does the second verse start? It says, It was grace that taught my heart to fear. The grace of God teaches us to fear God. Not that we are afraid of Him, to fear Him in this sense that we see his awesomeness, that we see his power, that we see his majesty, that we hold him in reverent fear. If you feel that sense in your heart today, if you feel that fear of God, I want to say rejoice. It's the grace of God that's revealing it to you. Rejoice. Last thing I want to just um, talk about this morning is this phrase. For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's what Paul preached. That's what Paul understood. Unfortunately, some new translations, modern translations, don't seem to know what to do with that phrase, from faith to faith. What does it mean? Well, the best, the best way to understand what faith to faith means is to look at the next time in Romans when Paul uses the word righteousness. And in Romans 3.22, he says this, The righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus, is for all who believe. The righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus for all who believe. Here we have Paul's answer. Here we understand what he's actually saying. He's saying the righteousness righteousness of God is revealed through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. In other words, Jesus had perfect faith. How many times have you heard this? You need to have more faith so that you can see your healing in your life. Just have more faith. So it's like it's about how much faith you have in order to see healing in your life. That is not what Paul believed. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is not the gospel. Jesus had perfect faith. Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus lived a life that did not question the Holy Spirit, that did not grieve the Holy Spirit. That was the faith of Jesus. And Paul says, when he says, from faith to faith, this is what happens. I must believe, you must believe in what Jesus has done on the cross. You must believe your faith must be ratified with the perfect faith of Jesus. In other words, it's got nothing to do with how much faith you have. 
It has everything to do with the faith of Jesus, which was perfect in every way. And all you do is you believe on the perfect faith of Jesus. That is enough. And what does Paul use as his example of perfect faith? He uses the life of Abraham. And we've been looking at that for a long time now. All you have to do is believe on the perfect faith of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that this is the only way that we get saved by preaching the wrath of God. I'm not saying that at all. Jesus can do whatever he likes, and he saves people in many ways. What I am saying is this is the, what motivated Paul. This is how he preached. This is why he had an urgency in his life to preach the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's what he was rooted in. You might say, well, that's not a very popular message. That's true. It's not a very popular message. And Paul knew that. When he went to the Corinthian church, he said this, 1 Corinthians 2.2, When I came to you, my brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I choose, chose to know nothing except Jesus and Him crucified. That, talk about the stigma, the embarrassment of the gospel. Do you think Paul didn't know that the whole of the ancient world knew that criminals and people that had broken the law were crucified? That's what the Romans did. Anyone who opposed the political system, anyone who opposed um, were criminals or in any sense broke the law, they were crucified. Do you, not, do you not think Paul had thought about this? If I go preaching a gospel that says the Son of God came and he made himself like the scum of the earth and he allowed himself to be crucified as a criminal, do you not think that Paul, with his amazing brain, thought that actually is not a very good message to preach? Of course he knew. That is the embarrassment of the gospel. Paul understood the embarrassment of the gospel. And yet he says to the, 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 the Corinthians, I decided to know nothing amongst you except Christ crucified. He put all of his trust in the blood of Jesus. And we know that Paul did gather people in Corinth. This message that said no, people might have said would never work, it certainly did. And there were two letters written to the Corinthian church. Some say there were three letters written to the Corinthian church and that the third one was lost. But we do know that there was a group of believers that Paul wrote to and a church was birthed in Corinth. My encouragement to you and to, to myself this morning is let us never be ashamed to preach the gospel. It's the power of God for all those who believe. Our task, your task, and my task is we get on. We preach the gospel. And we trust that God will save those that the Holy Spirit has chosen, that God has chosen. Some of those will be saved. Yes? And so, just uh, as I conclude, uh, just to remind you of those two words that R.T. reminded us of last week. Expiation, propitiation. Expiation, that's what the, uh, the word for atonement. So in other words, it's what the blood of Christ does for us. We are washed, we are cleansed, we are transformed. It makes us white as snow. Even the prostitute, when she comes to Christ, her sins are washed. And she might have been a scarlet, but now she's white as snow. That's what the blood does for us. 
What is propitiation? What does that talk about? That means what the blood does for God. Because of the blood of Christ, the anger of God, the justice of God is satisfied. That's what the blood does for God. And because His anger is satisfied and His justice is satisfied, He doesn't see us our sin anymore. He sees the perfection of Christ on our lives. And so I've said this often in this church. God is not angry with us. He's smiling upon us. That is true. When, he, when, when you are in Christ, He is smiling on you and He just wants His blessing on you. But at the same time, God, there's an anger that God has against a world that, world that has turned its back on Him. That's why he pours out his grace and he pours out his love that all who believe on the perfect faith of Jesus will be saved. So it's got nothing to do, the fact that God is smiling on you because you are in Christ, has nothing to do that you grew up in a Christian home, has nothing to do that you were baptized, has nothing to do with any of those things, has everything to do with the blood of Christ. Because of the blood of Christ, and the perfect faith of Jesus, you and I are saved. That is the simplicity of what we believe. I love that um, Matt Redman song. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus died. That is enough. That's the only thing that saved us. Are you ashamed of the gospel? We don't have anything else to preach. We actually do not have anything else to offer people except to say to them that there is a Savior. Except to say to them that, that there is a perfect shepherd, there's a perfect lamb that took all, of, all our sin upon him so that we might be free. That's, all, that's the only message we have to preach. And I'm not trying to uh, put anything on you. What I am trying to say is this, that we live with that urgency in our hearts, that we live with that urgency in our lives, that we are those that are saying, Jesus, help us to take every opportunity. Whoever we come across in the marketplace, just like Paul in Athens, whoever we come across, let us be those that are sharing our faith, sharing the good news of what Christ has done for us. Not looking for a platform, not saying one day I'll share my faith, Trusting God for healing, trusting God for salvation, trusting God for signs and wonders, all those things, absolutely. And I believe we will see more and more of those things as we preach the gospel. Why? Because that's what uh, Jesus said. These signs will follow you as you preach this gospel. As we preach the good news of, of, of Jesus, there will be signs that follow, and the blind will see, and, and, the, and the dead will be raised, absolutely. But we don't put, put our faith in those things those are secondary benefits of the main thing. The main thing is that you and I get to know God. The main thing is that we are saved. The main thing is that we have eternity. And all those other things are benefits along the way. They're not the main thing.